Thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning, church. It is so good to see you this morning and to hear you sing praises to God. I'm just encouraged every opportunity we get together. Uh, it is good to see some some visiting faces this morning. It's good to see some faces that are getting out for the first time and being with us after several months. You've been joining us online uh, and you're with us in person today. For those of you that are that are online with us this morning, good morning, welcome. It is so good for all of us to be together. Amen. If you have your Bibles, hold them up this morning. If you have your Bibles, hold them up. Even if it's in electronic form, take them and open them to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, that's where we are going to be here for our time together. 1 Peter chapter 5. Before we do that, let's go to God in prayer to begin our time of, of study. God, we thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to just be in your presence. We thank you for this chance to gather together on this first day of the week to commune uh, together to fellowship spiritually through the Lord's Supper. We thank you for that opportunity, God, that connects us uh, not just to you, but connects us to each other and to every Christian around the world this morning. That's such an amazing thing to be able to be a part of. God, uh, I pray for our church family here at Ninth Avenue. I pray as we are taking steps into our, our newest chapter as, as a family that you will bless us. Bless our elders as they uh, continue the process of um, installing new elders. I know that, that that time is coming soon where they will place men before us uh, to serve in that position, God. Be with those men. Soften their hearts now. You know who they are. We don't know who they are yet, God, but you do. You know who those men are going to be. And I pray now that you uh, start showering uh, your blessings of wisdom and of patience uh, and of discernment upon them, God, because they will be stepping into a very, very important role in your kingdom. Uh, help them to understand that, but help them not to be overwhelmed by that, God. I thank you so much uh, for guiding us through this process so far. I thank you for the involvement, the, the willingness that people have had to submit names and to uh, be involved in this process, God. It has truly been a blessing. I pray as we open up your word today, God, may we May we find a passage that speaks to us. May we find um, some things that will help us grow closer to you, that, that as our lesson says, that we'll be able to find peace in the time of anxiety, God. It seems like uh, our world is full of anxiety this morning on so many levels in so many different ways. And God, you have an antidote for that. You tell us not to worry, and that is very hard to do, God. Uh, but you tell us that we can live a life of not worrying. And, and today... Uh, from this passage, God, I hope that uh, your, your Spirit will, will, will guide us and convict us of ways that we can live that command from your Word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. It's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. I want you to know something this morning. As we get started this morning, as we... As we um, as we, as we just break down this passage that, that over the last week I've been studying and have really grown to love, I want you to know something this morning. I want you to repeat this phrase with me. The devil doesn't like me. 
Say it again. The devil doesn't like me. Maybe we even take it a step further and say, the devil hates me. So everybody say it. The devil hates me. You know, I think we spend a lot of time talking about how much God loves us. We talk a lot about the grace of God and the glory of God and the love of God and the mercy of God that at times we, we kind of, we talk about the devil and we talk about the fact that that he's this guy over here that tempts us and, and he's this guy that wants to bring bad things to us and he doesn't want us to follow God. But I don't think we ever really just mention the true motivation. And I think the true motivation of Satan this morning, and, and I hope you agree, and if you don't, maybe we can talk about it, but I think as much as God loves you, as much as He cares for you, as much as He wants you to grow and be His child, and as much as He wants you to have that relationship with Him and have a wonderful spiritual life, I believe the devil hates you and me that much, and with the same way that God wants to lift us up, the devil wants to do everything he can to tear us down. Do you agree with that this morning? Do you agree with that? If you do, say amen. All right, now, there's another thing that I want you to think about with me this morning. Not just that Satan hates you, but I, I want you to write this down because in our passage today, if you're taking notes, this next statement, something I want you to remember. In our passage today, Peter tells us that Satan's what? Satan is walking around, Satan is prowling around, and he's looking for something. What, what, is, what does that passage in 1 Peter say? He's looking for something to what? To devour. Ha, have you ever watched on TV, have you ever watched a lion tear into something and eat? And and then to make that connection that, that that's what Satan wants to do to us. And because of that, I want you to write this down. The birthmark of a Christian is a bullseye. The birthmark of a Christian is a bullseye. And the reason I say that this morning is because of this passage, because of what Peter tries to tell us. Peter is trying to teach us that when we become children of God, when we become born-again believers through our baptism, then at that moment, at the same time that you're born again with hope and with grace and with mercy, Satan paints a target on your back and says, you know what? I want him. I don't want him to be one of mine. I don't want him... To, I, I, I don't want him to necessarily be my friend. I don't want to have a relationship with him. I just want to tear him down. I just want to tear her down because I don't want them to have a relationship with Jesus. You ever feel that pressure from Satan? You ever feel that pressure from Satan that, that he's just kind of lurking around? This is what he says. He says, be alert and of sober mind. And of sober mind. Your enemy... Who's your enemy this morning? Who is it? And I want you to realize that this morning because we like to make politics our enemy. We like to make um, different fans of different football teams sometimes our, our enemy, and maybe that's in a joking way. Sometimes we even like to make church members our enemy because they may feel different than we do. But I want you to realize something this morning. The only true enemy that we have as Christians is who? The devil. That's who we're fighting against. 
But he does such a good job of prowling around us, waiting for us to devour, to, to devour us. And in that process, he creates great anxiety, doesn't it? There's times that we have great anxiety about life. There's times that we feel Satan's presence just kind of standing over in the corner watching us, and we feel overwhelmed. We feel anxious. We feel like maybe we're not good enough. And I truly believe that Satan is standing in the corner waiting and looking for a family that he can devour, a family that he can tear apart. He's looking for a, for a teenager that he can get in their head and he can cause all kinds of, of anxieties. He's looking for a church that he can get in the middle of and do nothing but cause problems. He's looking for something, for someone that he can pounce on. You know, one of my favorite movies is The Lion King. Any Lion King fans? You know what one of my favorite scenes is in that movie? Is when he's teaching Simba how to pounce. You remember that scene? And they put the, the bird, what's the bird's name? Yeah, Zazu. And he's sitting there, and he's just talking, 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 talking. That's what Zazu does through the whole movie. He just talks. And that's usually what Satan does, right? He's wait till, he waits till we're not really paying attention. We know he's there. Zazu knew he was there the whole time. He knew Simba was there the whole time. And out of nowhere, what did Simba do? Just pounced on him. Just pounced on him. But I, but I want you to know something this morning. When Satan attacks us, the attack is not an ambush. The attack is not an ambush. But sometimes we feel like it is, right? Sometimes we're, we're rolling along in life. Things are going great. Things are going well. We feel like we're being blessed by God. And then all of a sudden we feel like Satan just pounces on us and our world gets turned upside down. Anybody ever had a moment like that? We just feel like your world gets turned upside down. Those of you that, that didn't raise your hand, you may not be voting, but I know it's happened to you in your life. But here's the thing. Satan's attacks... They're not an ambush. How do I know that? Because what does it say? Does it say he's sneaking around like a quiet line? What type of line? What type of line? A roaring line. He, he, he's, he's sneaking around like a roaring line. And roaring lines, are they able to sneak up on anybody? No. You know that they're there. You know that it's not an ambush because you hear him coming. Satan makes noises. He's, he's loud. But sometimes we're so surprised when these things happen, not because we don't know that he's there, but it's kind of like Zazu's because we're too busy running our mouth over here that we've quit paying attention to him. And he knows when we quit paying attention to him. He knows when we let our guard down. It's in that moment he's going to roar and he's going to pounce and he's going to throw our life upside down. Now, in that moment, what does Peter say to do? He says he's, he, he's, he's coming around looking for something to devour. And when you see him, you need to run. Is that what he says? No. He says when you see him, do what? Read it with me. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. But I want you to fall, really focus in on that first phrase. Say it with me. Resist him. When Satan is pouncing on you, when you see him running, when you see him coming at you, Peter doesn't say turn and run. What does he say do? He says you dig your heels in right there where you are. You ground yourself. 
You grab the arms of your brothers and sisters. You lock arms and you resist him and you stand firm and you don't let him take you down. You may say, Matthew, that's, that's, that's real easy. That's real easy. How do we do that? We do that by the next phrase. He says we do it by humbling ourselves, or, or back in verse 6, by humbling ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Under the mighty hand of God. Now, you might, well, why does he use this phrase? Why, it, it's a callback to Psalms chapter 136. And the psalmist writes these words. He's talking about the people of Israel. And he says that God brought Israel out from among them, out from cap- captivity. His love endures forever. With a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, his love endures forever. And the image that the psalmist is giving here is that God's mighty hand and mighty arm reached out over the people of Israel and covered them and protected them and fought their battles for them and made sure that they were taken care of. And if you read through the story, especially, you know, we've just got through on, um, we just got through was it on Sunday nights? Was it on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights? I forget that we, we've been going through, we went through the book of Joshua together. And, and we, see that, so we see that story that there's times when God's mighty arm and mighty hand is over the people of Israel, and, and in those moments, walls fall down in front of them, and they don't even have to do anything. And then when they turn their back, when they sinned after the fall of Jericho, God removed that from them. And they weren't protected, but then after they made things right, his mighty hand and his mighty arm was there. You see in our life, in our life, when we live, when we humble ourselves and put ourselves under the mighty hand of God, we can do the next thing that this verse says. And also what Philippians says, verse 7 in our text says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And that's the same idea that Paul says in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious about some things. Is that right? Do not be anxious about what? Anything. What a great, strong suggestion, right? Where I went to camp, Mid-South Youth Camp growing up, we had one rule. There was one rule at camp all year long, and it was follow all strong suggestions. And then there was a long list of strong suggestions. And I feel like the Bible is that way sometimes, that we don't like to necessarily think that there are rules, but there are some great strong suggestions in there, and this may be one of them. Some people call it a command. I'm going to call it a strong suggestion, but I'm going to preface that with all strong suggestions we need to follow, okay? Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, every situation, every time you feel Satan getting ready to pounce, every time you feel his presence, and even when you don't, in every situation, what does Paul say to do? By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. I truly believe that there is a direct tie between our anxieties and worries in life and the strength of our prayer life. Because Paul makes that connection right here. He says, instead of worrying about things, you need to what? Pray about things. And if you're still if you're still worrying, then maybe you need to pray some more and be specific in your prayers. That's how the peace of God will come to you in your life. Okay, so what do we need this morning? What do we need this morning? Well, if we come under the mighty hand of God, then some things are going to become clear for us in our life. When we come under the hand of God, the first thing we find is the plan 
of God. The first thing we find is the plan of God. Peter is much older and mature as a Christian than when he started out following Jesus. Peter is the guy that if, 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 if Peter's life was a TV show, the first few years of him as a disciple, those first three years with Jesus, they would be the highest range. You know how TV shows, a lot of times the good ones, they're really good, like the first two or three years, and then the back end of the story kind of gets boring and you kind of get tired of, you know, I kind of feel that way about Peter. I feel that way about Peter because the first three years of Peter's life that we study, that we see, man, he's opening his mouth and saying crazy things all the time, right? He, he's, he's sticking his foot in his mouth every time you turn around. He's the God that decides, hey, I'm going to jump out of the boat. Any other boat jumper outers this morning or is it just Peter? You know, I mean, most normal people wouldn't do something like that. And then as he grows up and as the Holy Spirit helps him mature, you see him in the back half. You see him at this point. You see him leading the council at Jerusalem. You, you see him you see him opening the door for the Gentiles into the church. You see him in this mature role as a leader. But at the beginning, at the beginning, he tends to have his own plan about how things are going to go. And in the book of Matthew, or really towards the, the end of, of all the Gospels, there's this story of Jesus and, and all the disciples or all the apostles. They're sitting in the upper room and they're having Passover together. And Jesus takes the elements of Passover, the things that they're very familiar with, and he pulls a couple of those elements out, and he says, now we're going to carry this into the new covenant, and these things are going to, they're, they're still going to have significant meaning to you because they're going to represent my sacrifice. They're not just going to represent, you know, the things that you remember from, from the stories that were told about the Exodus. These, these things are now going to be about me and you and our relationship together. And we were able to take part of that in a very important way this morning. But during this time, Jesus has a very interesting conversation. He says, hey, look, you know, before the night's over, you're going to turn your back on me. Before the night's over, you're going to turn your back on me. And what does Peter say emphatically? He says, no, I'm not going to do that. He goes, he goes, if you're going to die, Jesus, then guess what? I'm going to die too. It, 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 and, and maybe Southern, we say, it ain't going to happen like that. That's not how this is going to go down, Jesus. And then they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and in Matthew 26, you've got this group of people that have marched up the hill, a lynch mob basically, to arrest Jesus. And I'm sure Peter's blood begins to boil because who's leading the mob up the hill but one of his closest friends, Judas himself, the man that was at the table with him just hours before. And in his mind, he's thinking, this is the moment. This is when I put my plan into practice. This is when I let Jesus know that what I say is what I mean. And he pulls his sword out, and what does he do with it? He cuts a man's ear off. And what does the mighty hand of God do in that moment? He raises his hand, and he says, Peter, this is not my plan. And he reaches down, and he picks up Malchus's ear, and he puts it back on the side of his face, and he heals him. That was God's plan. You know what I wish? What I wish I knew is what every step of my plan looked like. 
I wish I knew every step of my plan that God has planned out for me. I wish I knew every step of the plan that he has for you. I don't. I wish I did. And you don't. Matter of fact, many of us can look back and we can see moments where we had our Peter moment where we had our plan in our way and we were going to do things the way we wanted to do them. And in those moments, because, because we allowed Satan to push us into our own selfishness, it created what? Anxiety and worries and fears instead of just following God's plan. Instead of just going in the direction that we knew God wanted us to go in the moment. One of the things that I do know for a fact, though, I do know for a fact that your plan starts in one specific place. Your plan starts in the waters of baptism. Jesus tells Nicodemus that. Nicodemus has got all these questions about what in the world are you doing, Jesus? What are you teaching? I don't understand. He says, look, unless you're what? Born of water and of spirit, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in Acts chapter 2, the same questions asked of Peter and all the other apostles. And Peter's in the middle of his sermon, and these guys stop him and go, hey, Peter, what do we do to make this right? And he says, you repent and you're baptized. And when that happens, you receive forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So my question this morning as we're thinking about the plan of God, I wonder is... Is, is your story, is your journey, is the plan God laid out with you, has it truly started where it's supposed to? Jesus says, and these are Jesus' words. These aren't my words. These aren't the church of Christ words. These are just red letter words. He says, if you believe and you're baptized, you'll be what? You'll be saved. That's God's plan. There's nothing... There's nothing crazy about it. There's nothing difficult about it. It's pretty plain and simple, and he lays it out very clear. But then as we go back and we look at our our text, I I believe this is part of his plan for us too. He says, though you have not seen him, this is verse eight, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. I want you to focus in. Okay, so if we're not going to be anxious people, all right? So I want you to I want you to say this with me. I won't be anxious. All right, all five of you, thank you. I appreciate that. So five of you are really buying into what I'm saying this morning. The rest of you are going, oh, I'm not too sure about this. Let's try that again. I won't be anxious. Okay, instead, he says, instead of anxiety and fears and all these things, he says, now you are filled with a what? Inexpressible and glorious joy. An inexpressible and glorious joy. Now, there is one person in this room, there is one person in this room that I thought of when I read this this week. I don't know who you think of. But there's one person in this room, and it's Nathan. I'm going to tell you why it's Nathan. And Nathan's probably going, why are you picking on me this morning? Because when we're able to be more than or closer than six feet apart from each other and and not having to wear a mask, if Nathan sees you at church or anywhere else, what does Nathan always have on his face? 
smile. Why? Because he's got a joke he's fixing to tell you. It may not be a good joke. And we've all come to expect that, haven't we, Nathan? And he'll even tell you, I'm going to tell you a bad joke. But what's he going to do? He's going to tell you one anyway. You know what, though? There's something about that. There's something about telling people jokes and seeing them laugh and seeing them smile that makes Nathan happy. It gives him this, this, this joy that, that just, just comes out of him. Now, multiply that by 100 and substitute jokes with Jesus, and we're supposed to look like Nathan on steroids. Okay, when people see us coming, they're going to supposed to look at us and say, that's a child of God. How do they know that? Because we're not full of, of worry. We're not full of fear. We're not full of anxiety. We're full of what? An inexpressible and glorious joy. Are you that kind of person? Does that define who you are? Because Peter says it's supposed to. That's supposed to define you. When you walk into a room, do you light it up with joy, with happiness, with good vibes? If not, then there's something you need to deal with because that's who you're supposed to be. And the reason that you're probably not that way is because you're trying to live life by your plan and not by God's. So let's make sure that as we're under the hand of God, we're following God's plan. The next thing we see here is under God's hand, we find His provisions. Under God's hand, we find his provision. There's another day in the life of Peter in Matthew chapter 14. If you want to look at the story, you can. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus has been teaching all these people. There's 5,000 plus people out on the side of this bluff one day, and, and it's time to eat. It's time to eat. Now, I have heard from some people in this room that you think I'm a good preacher. All right, but what time is it? Seriously, what time is it? 11.15. I'm supposed to be through at what time? 11.30. Because what do you do at 11.30? You go eat what? Lunch. If I'm still preaching at 12 and you're here and not at lunch, how many of you are still going to think I'm a good preacher? Okay, that's my point. There's this group of people. There's 5,000 people surrounding Jesus. He's been teaching and preaching all day. And what time is it? It's lunchtime or it's, it's supper time. One of those two. It's supper time. And Peter and the other apostles, they notice it. I'm sure there's people that are getting kind of, you know, on edge. They're, they're kind of wondering, hey, you know, is this guy fixing to stop anytime soon? I'm getting hungry. The kids are getting restless. See, when I hear, when I hear kids start crying towards the end of my lesson, I know it's time to stop. Doesn't matter if I'm finished or not. It's time to go home. And they see all this happening and, and they go to Jesus and they go, Jesus, we have a, what's the first one here? We have a, plan. So they have come up with this plan, and what's their plan? They're going to send all these people where? In the town, so that they can eat what? Supper. How many of you think that sounds like a great plan? I mean, really, that's not a bad plan, is it? I'm not saying it's Jesus's plan, but it's the best plan that they could come up with, and Jesus says something real interesting. He goes, no, you provide for them. You feed them. So what do they do? They start running around, and they start trying to scrounge up all this food, and basically they come back with a Long John Silver's kids' meal. Okay, a Captain D snack pack. This little bit of food, this, these little pieces of hush puppy, this bread, and they go, Jesus, this is our plan now. Do something with it. You know, we don't know what else to do. And what does Jesus do? He says, have everybody sit down. And the food, it just kept coming. 
The fish, it just kept coming. The bread, it just kept coming. You see, a lot of times when we try to live our life under our own plan, we try to use our own provisions to live it. But when we follow the plan of Jesus and we live under his provisions, then the grace, it just keeps coming. The mercy just keeps coming. The forgiveness just keeps coming. The peace, it just keeps coming. You see, it's not just our own ideas that tend to get us in trouble. It's when we try to put our own ideas into action. When we try to provide uh, an answer to our own problems, when we try to provide an answer to other people's problems instead of truly seeking the provisions of God. Only under the outstretched arm of God do we find the true provisions for true salvation, for true happiness, for true joy, and for true peace. So let's live our lives under the provisions of God. Let's talk about one more thing. We have God's plan. We have God's provisions. How many of y'all bet this next word ends with a P or begins with a P? Any chances? Have you noticed that yet? We have God's protection. We live under God's plan that gives us his provisions, which then gives us his protection. Go all the way back to Matthew chapter 14. I'm sure this was a day that his followers would never forget. So Jesus picks up and leaves, okay? He tells his disciples, picks up all the leftovers. And when he's finished, he goes and he spends some time by himself. And he tells his apostles and, and disciples, he says, y'all, y'all going across the water. Let's... So Jesus is walking across the water to catch up with them because that's what normal people do, right? They walk across the water to catch up with their friends. But is Jesus normal? Not at all. This is a test. This is a test because what have they just seen Jesus do? They've seen him feed all these people with just nothing. And he's wondering, do they really get it yet? Have they figured it out? And as, he, as they see this thing walking across the water in the shadows, they, Jesus, if that's you, say yes. Now, if I was somebody other than Jesus walking across the water just for fun, you know what I would have said? Yeah, it's me. Come on out here. And just to see what would happen. Then Peter got down out of the boat. This is the part that we kind of look at Peter and go, what are you thinking, man? What are you thinking? Walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Now, I want to stop right there for a second because two things I I want to point out that I see. Maybe you see differently. And if you do, please let me know. Peter got down out of the boat. Why? Because he had put it together. He had seen what Jesus could do. He knew Jesus could do anything now. So if Je- I'm going to put Jesus to the test. Uh, if he really means for me to get out of the boat and come walk to him, I'm going to see if that's really what's going to happen because I know what I just saw. I know what we just witnessed. Now this guy can do anything. So if he wants me to walk to him, then guess what I can do? I can come out there and I can walk to him. The second thing is I get this image and impression is that walked Peter walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Now, the way Matthew reads this is that Jesus has stopped walking, and now who's walking? Peter. So he's focused on Jesus. He's walking toward Jesus. Jesus is standing there waiting on him. Come to me. But then then the prowling, the prowling lion shows up, and he starts to listen to the roar and to the growl of the sea and the waves around him. And he begins to what? 
he begins to sink. And what does he do? He cried out, Lord, save me. And I wonder if he's thinking about this moment when he writes, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. Because the rest of this story is what? He cries out, Lord, save me. And the rest of this story says that a little bit later, no, it says immediately Jesus reached and grabbed him. Immediately. You see, when we live by God's plan and under God's provisions, that means we're always going to live close enough to Jesus. We're going to walk close enough to Jesus that when we do fall, when we do stumble, when we do give in to the anxieties of Satan, because let me tell you something, we're going to. I know I talk a lot about how we shouldn't and how we don't need to, and I mean that, but I just as much mean this. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to fall flat on our face. We're going to be walking on water thinking, wow, look how awesome I am one minute, and then the next minute we're going to be crying out to God to save us. That's just how life is. That's how our hearts that's how they function. But as long as you're living by His plan, as long as you're living by His provision, then you'll always be close enough for His mighty hand to reach down and protect you and lift you up. You won't have to worry because even in the most difficult moments, you'll still be able to see Jesus. You'll still know that He's there and you'll still feel, you'll still feel his hand of protection. Now, all of that leads us to this. No, it doesn't. It leads us to this. Peter's painted this picture for us about living under God, about functioning in this relationship in a powerful way where we replace our anxieties with, with joy and we live this lifestyle. And then he finishes this section up with this. He says, and the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, okay, there's going to be times. There's going to be times that we suffer. Do you understand that? We're not going to be able to get away from it. We're not going to be able to outrun suffering in our life. He says there's going to be a time, and it's just going to be a little while that we suffer. He says after that, He will restore, he him, restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. You see, it really goes back to what James says in James chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of every kind, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. So as your faith is being tested, as you're suffering, you're also growing because you're understanding the plan of God a little bit better. You're understanding the provisions of God a little bit better. You're understanding the protection of God a little better. And the more you understand those things, the more you're able to stand firm and be steadfast, and the more He's able to restore you. But how do we find peace when anxiety strikes? We walk as close to God as possible. We walk as close to God as possible. Because under His mighty hand, there is a peace that transcends all understanding. And that is my hope that you understand that today above everything else. Let's go to God in prayer as we close.
God, we thank you for this chance to open up your word and to study this morning to be hopefully encouraged. Because God, I, I know, I know that there's people in this room struggling this morning. I know that there's people in this room and, and, and listening to us online and following us uh, uh, just, just throughout our, our community, God, that, that anxiety and stress and worry and fear, the devil himself is winning in their life. But help us to not lose hope. Help us to not lose focus on you. Help us to realize that the devil is there. We know that. We shouldn't be surprised by that guy. Help us to stand firm. Help us to replace Help us to replace those anxieties in our life with joy in you. Help us to replace those fears with fellowship. Help us to replace all the negative with your spirit. We thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the words of Peter and his experience that even 2,000 years later, we're able to draw on and to grow from. We thank you for that, God. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for the relationships that we have. And it's in your son's name we pray this morning. Amen. If there's anything you need this morning, come as we stand and as we sing. There is a God. There is a God. He is a If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama.